The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Let me bring just a couple of things to your attention as we, as we transition into our time coming to God's Word. Some of you have had questions, and we want to answer those questions for you. We want to be open uh, to you about what's going on here as a leadership. We're excited about this. We're not apologetic at all. Uh, we, we know that God has placed us here providentially at this time and given us the resources that we have to leverage them for His kingdom. And I mentioned last week, and I was incorrect, uh, that we're going to have town hall meetings. We said it was today. It's going to be next Sunday morning. If you'd like to come at 9.30 over in the other building, I'll be over there with a couple of the other leaders of the church, and we'll be able to answer some questions that you may have, any concerns that you have, how you can engage all of those different things. Um, and we want you to, to see those. There's, uh, the little booklets are available for you as you leave today. I already mentioned the, the prayer uh, cards and coins uh, for you to have. And we've created a website for you. Uh, it's called impactinghpc.com. You can go there and you can see and continue to look throughout the week. There's some prayers for you to pray. I'd ask you to do this. Pray on behalf of our church and especially on behalf of the leadership of the church. I don't usually ask for personal prayer needs because it's not necessarily something in need of mine. But my mom and I were talking this week and she's a much more godly person than I am. And when she calls me Billy, I know I really need to listen. And uh, we were talking about a few things and and uh, I told her these things, and she said, well, Billy, what do you expect? You and this church are doing great things for the kingdom. And Satan's going to come at you, and he's going to pester you and bug you and try to take you down. And you need to have people praying for you personally, and for the leadership of this church, and for the church in general. And so if you commit to pray uh, with us and for us as a staff and for uh, this ministry, because we really do want to see God do great things. And we talked last week about uh, impacting lives, and you saw a little bit of that. This week, we're going to talk about how the gospel uh, equips us and motivates us and gives us a mission to impact our communities for Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over uh, to Jeremiah chapter 29. That's in the Old Testament, one of the uh, major prophets of the Old Testament, when Israel, that is God's uh, covenant people, had been taken into captivity. Uh, they were uh, under Babylonian rule, but they rebelled against Babylon, and the king at the time was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar came and sent his armies, and basically what he did was the way that his foreign policy worked was he would go into the cities, he would go into the places of influence, and he would remove the brightest and the youngest and the sharpest people, the top business people, uh, the top leaders, and he would exile them. And then he would send in people from other parts of the kingdom, of his uh, kingdom, into those cities. And so it would take away their power. And so this, this group of people from Israel had been sent uh, to Babylon, and they were living there. Uh, Daniel was one of them, one of the bright young leaders of Israel, was sent to Babylon. And so that's where we pick up. And the people were having a very difficult time, sort of like we have today. How are we supposed, what are we supposed to do with the world around us? What are we supposed to do with the communities and the cities in which we find ourselves? How is it that we, as Christians individually and as churches corporately, how are we supposed to engage them? 
what impact are we supposed to have? Or are we supposed to pull back, circle the wagons, protect what we have, and just keep ourselves and our families safe and from that bad, bad world that's out there so they have no influence on us at all? That's what the people were wrestling with. And Jeremiah comes and he begins to speak uh, to the people. And I'm going to pick up uh, in verse 4 instead of in verse 1. Uh, verse 1 is simply explaining what I've already explained to you, that the people were there uh, in Babylon, and this letter was written to them. And there's a lot of names that I don't pronounce well, so we'll go uh, to verse 4 and pick up there. But it basically says this, and this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise. And bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then when you call, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. May I add blessings to the reading and to the hearing of it. I want to say that I am indebted to the outline, the broad outline for this lesson today comes from a study developed by Redeemer Presbyterian Church called Gospel Christianity. And it's a study that says how do we engage the world in which we live? And so the first thing we are going to look at is this. There's brokenness within our communities. I was preparing the lesson, I thought, do I really even need to say that? If you've looked around where we live, sometimes it's hard to see brokenness. It's hard to see the brokenness in the midst of gated communities. It's hard to see brokenness in private schools and in nice cars and on golf courses and in the beauty of a beach and the beauty of a marsh and a sunset. It's hard to see that this place, this awesome, beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places you'll ever go in all the world, in this place is abject brokenness. And it looks different in different parts of our community. There's brokenness in the affluency of our community and there's brokenness within the poverty of our community. There's brokenness within families that look great on the outside, and there's brokenness within families that are looked all busted apart. But the reality is this. Our community is broken. 
God created the world perfect. You see in Genesis when he created it, that there was perfect harmony and unity between mankind, Adam and Eve, between all of humanity and nature around it. The social systems worked. Everything was in perfect integration. They were perfectly integrated. It said that the, the man and the woman, that Adam and Eve, walked with God in the cool of the evening, and they had conversations, and it was awesome and peaceful. And it says that the man and the woman stood before one another, and they were naked, and there was no shame. And then something happened. It said then all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 3, brokenness entered because Adam and Eve determined that their ideas superseded God's idea. They had a better way of doing things. That they thought that maybe God was holding out on them. That there was a tree that they wanted to eat from. And they were so deceived and convinced that God was holding out his love from them that they determined to eat from it. And it says in the moment that they ate from it, death entered and brokenness entered and disintegration entered. And all of a sudden it said that between the man and the woman, there was shame. That now something had changed and transpired. There was distance and brokenness in their relationship. And they hid themselves in the bushes when God came to visit with them. And he said, what's going on? What happened? And he knew because he's God. But he was inviting them out of their shame, out of their nakedness, out of their brokenness, to come back into his presence. And they were terrified. And basically what God said was this. There are consequences to your decision. But I have a plan. And my plan is the gospel. And you find it right there in Genesis 3. Where it says that there is the seed of the woman which is coming and that he will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent will only bruise his heel. And so it's this picture of Christ is coming one day and he will crush the serpent. He will crush the enemy. And he, by the entrance of his kingdom and the entrance and presence of his power, is going to bring back integration. It's going to break, it is going to heal and restore the brokenness that's experienced within lives. The brokenness that's in each of us. The brokenness that we find in our relationships. The brokenness that we find in our communities in which we live. That the gospel comes in and it has a profound effect to restore lives, restore communities, restore people. Governments can help. Agencies can help, but it is the gospel that will be the only thing that can truly transform a life, that can truly restore that which is broken. And it's to all people. And so we look around and we realize this, there's brokenness around us. And we can see it. Some of us turn a blind eye to it. We don't want to look at it. Because it's too overwhelming. One of my favorite stories from World War II, and you can uh, talk with uh, some of our veterans and go and study in history books. And I actually sat down and was telling the story one time with a wonderful saint who's now uh, with Christ who was actually at the scene when they had come in and they found the first uh, camp, the encampment where the Jews were being persecuted and killed. And they came in and says the general of the U.S. Army went into the town that was right next to there. And he forced the mayor and all the people of the town to go into the encampment, to go into that death camp, and to begin to clean it out. And it says that after that, the mayor was so overwhelmed with it all that he committed suicide. What had happened? This town, right here, they saw the smoke. They knew what was going on, but they did 
nothing. They turned a blind eye. And we in the church cannot turn a blind eye to the brokenness, to the power and need of sin, and, and of all the fall in the world and in the lives of the people around us in our community. We can't. We have to be the ones who are willing to go and to march into these broken areas, to march into these encampments, into these strongholds, and go, we have a weapon that nobody else has, and the weapon is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by His Spirit, on His behalf, doing and changing lives. Do you all believe that? I hope that's what our church will do. And that's what we want to be about here. We want to do everything that we're talking about doing in this campaign. Everything that we're talking about doing in this generosity initiative that we're about. Everything that we're doing is so that we can continually better equip our people, change what we're doing here, so that we can then go out and have a larger impact in the world around us and in our communities right here. And so God has us here for reason. First, the thing you need to know, there's brokenness all around. And some of you are going, amen to that. I see it, Bill, every single day. You know there's brokenness in our schools. There was an arrest with a young man uh, who was found, and there was another man in the car this week, and, and that man had 150 packs of Xanax that he's been distributing to the students who are right across the street over here. There's brokenness right across the street. You don't have to go very far. You can go out into Bluffton. You can go anywhere. There's brokenness. So how are we going to engage it? What are we going to do about it? Well, the second thing that we need to see is this, that there's brokenness in the communities, that God has placed it, that there is healing that comes uh, by us engaging these communities. And now, how do we see this redeeming the brokenness? How do we see it happen? Well, the first thing is this. Look at what it says in this passage. Praying for the city, we'll use the word community since we're not a city, we're not a metropolitan area, but we're a community. Pray for the community to which I sent you. Do you know how you got here today? Do you know how you decided to take up residency in Bluffton and in Hillhead? Do you know how you determined of all the places in the world in which to hang your hat and put your head at night? Do you know how you got here? God sent you here. And you're going, no, he didn't, Bill. I, I live in Seattle, Georgia. And I look at Charleston, I saw Kiowa, I look at all of these things, I studied the, the, I was in Atlanta and I'm tired of Atlanta, so I decided to school system. I did all the research and I determined on my own bill that I was coming here to Hillcat and Bluffton. And I would tell you, there's one who's behind that decision who's saying, I sent you there. And so God has a purpose and a plan for sending us here. God had a purpose and a plan for starting Hillhead Presbyterian Church in the 19, 30 years ago or so, right here on this island. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't just a bunch of people who thought, oh, and everything else will start a Presbyterian Church. It was God saying, I want a presence for the gospel right there. And then there was this really interesting thing that happened a few years after that. They bought a piece of property right here. That happened to be at the entrance point to this island. So that when you drive on this island, what's one of the first things you see? You see a church that's right here. And it just happened to be right across the street from 3,500 students who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I have no doubts in my mind that God has said, I've placed you there. I have you here for a reason. And the reason is this. I want you to engage the brokenness of the city. But there's some false teaching that's going around. 
He even addresses it in verse 8 and 9 here. He says, don't listen to all of those guys who are out there telling you uh, to live separate and isolated lives. Don't listen to all those prophets who are in Babylon telling all the Jews that you shouldn't have anything to do with all these nasty, mean, ugly, little Babylonian people. You need to be your own little holy huddle. You need to be your own group. You've got to have your own radio stations. You've got to have your own businesses. You've got to have your own lingo. You've got to have all your own stuff. And make sure you put a fish on it so everybody knows that you're part of the club and you're part of the group. And when you see each other, you've got to have the right little things so that no one else can get a part of that. You hear any teaching like that today? All over the place. And God would say to us today from Jeremiah, do not listen to them. I didn't send them to you. There's false teaching that says that the church should have absolutely nothing to do with the communities in which it finds itself. Where is the place that has been vacated more than any other place? And I feel sort of silly even bringing this up, living on Hilton Head. You know where the church has left? It's left the cities. It's left the center cities. And it's headed out to the suburbs. It's headed away. And God's saying, don't separate yourselves in that way. Your lifestyle should separate yourself. The way that you live is different, and so on those things. But you should be living in such a way. Look at the language that he uses here. Verses 4 to 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles of whom I have sent to live in Hilton Head and Bluffton. Because we're exiles. This isn't our home, right? Where's our true citizenship and true home for the Christian? Yeah. It's in heaven. So we're in exile for a while here. We're sojourners and pastors. Why? We just sort of got squatters rights in this world for a little while. And so we're here. He's saying, for all you folks that are hanging out in Hilton Head and Bluffton, listen to me. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's amazing, isn't it? God is saying this to us. Fully engaged life here. Most people ask the question, so where are you from? And you'll say, oh, I'm from New York. I'm from Boston. I'm from Ohio. Most of you say I'm from Ohio. Um, and, uh, and so I'm from somewhere else. Here's what I would love for our church to say. I'm from Hilton Head. I'm from Boston. This is my home. This is where I'm putting down deep roots. This is where my life is. And I am going to know this place inside and out. I am going to drive around in the communities. I am going to look around with eyes that are looking for brokenness. Eyes that know where the emotional and spiritual uh, crossroads are in this place. And I'm going to go meet with civic leaders. I'm going to go meet with teachers. I'm going to go meet with principals. I'm going to go meet with people in the communities. And I'm going to ask them, where is the brokenness and how can I engage this brokenness? How can my life, believing that God has brought me here for a reason, is saying, now go and know about your city. Know about your town. Know about what's going on in the life of it. Understand what's happening here because I've sent you here. 
For so many, many people in this community, we come here and what we want is for this community to serve us. We are drained on its resources. We come here so that the resources of this community will serve our needs. And God is saying we have it absolutely inverted. That the Christian and the church is to take all of the resources of the kingdom it has, every bit of our wealth, every bit of our energy, every bit of our smarts, every bit of our talent, take all of that to serve the needs and to resource the community in which we find ourselves. And some of you are going, Bill, that's dangerous stuff. Yeah, it is. It, it, it can get dangerous. And I'll tell you what it really can do is it can get messy. Anybody like messy? Other than teenage boys? Anybody like messy? No, most of you work really hard not to have messy. We had dinner eight groups recently. And many of you have had people in your house. And I bet, ladies, before people walked into your house, you and those under your command were working very, very diligently to get rid of mess. And so even in a church, we work very hard to do what? Get rid of mess. And so I don't want you to misunderstand. When we talk about redoing every bit of this building, adding building space, redoing all of our campus, and it's going to look awesome, by the way. My hope is this, that in a few years, it's going to look messy again. And then we'll have to do some more work on it. Because that means that busted up, broken lives are being invited into this community. And they don't know exactly how to act within this community. They just know how to be broken. And we don't flinch at it. That we go and say, come on in. And we tell them and love them and have them here. And they come and they use up the resources that God's given us. And then guess where we go back to? We go back to the Lord of the resource. We say, God, we're going to do a little bit more stuff. We've got to do some more things in your name and for your kingdom's sake here. So he's saying, would you engage fully in the community in which you live and look at the effect that Christians have by living actively for Christ in their communities? Verses 7 and verses 11. Let's seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The welfare of the Christian is intrinsically tied to the welfare of the community in which that Christian finds him or herself. Do you see that? That should make you go, what? He is saying this, if you think you're thriving, but the community in which you live is not thriving, then you're not truly thriving. Because somehow our welfare, our well-being, our lives are intrinsically tied to the welfare and the being of the, of the community in which we find ourselves. You realize that God did the exact same thing. God basically said this, my joy will never fully be complete until the last one of my sons and daughters is home. He said, I will never fully be joyful Again, I would never fully be peaceful again until my son returns and everything is made right. He's tied his happiness to ours. It says he breaks his heart when his people sin. It breaks his heart when he sees the brokenness of this world. And it should break our hearts as well. That God has sent us here for such a time as this. When I think about this church, is and could be. I look at all those cars so wildly parked out there. 
And I hear my mom again saying, you know, Billy, I'm 81. This old woman can't walk that far. But can you do something about your parking? We'll do something about it. We're going to triple it. But here's what I'd love to see. I can't wait to see streams of kids walking across the street from that school into our facilities to get tutoring after school. Or to have a safe place because many of their parents are single parents and they have to work. And those children go home to single to empty houses. And then we expect them to somehow be academically prepared for the world in which they live. And then for us who have means, we sit and we go, well, if they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, if they just weren't caught in this poverty cycle, that's a bunch of junk. But if we said no, we believed that we could open our doors and we could have some impact in the lives of those kids coming across here. And we could not only teach them, we could share with them Christ. And on Friday nights, maybe after a football game, and all those kids from there, and all those kids from there, and kids from everywhere, that we maybe open our facilities and say, hey, instead of going out and hanging out with guys who have 38s and beards and Xanax in their car, why don't you come over here to a safe place where you can come and have fun and play and have a fire pit and do all of this stuff, and it can be a place where you're safe and you can engage and you can see Jesus Christ lifted up. Or that we could go over on Marshland and we've got so many men and women who have so many skills that we can go over on Marshland and we can say to Marshland, to the community there for Habitat, let us help build all those houses that you need to have built over there. That we'll do it. That we'll go to Bluffton and we'll do the same thing. I just have this picture of how we can and will engage our community to see it prosper. And in its prosperity, our prosperity. I'll end with this. It's the final Part. Here is our hope within this broken verses 11 or 10 to 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I and come to and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will, I, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you. Again, him driving us, declares the Lord, that I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You may be thinking, gosh, Bill, you're asking an awful lot of us. How are we going to do this? That seems overwhelming. Uh, is anything that happened? Well, you see, we have a little picture of how it all ends. Our time and service here is only for a season. And then what the believer adds is this, God's saying, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you home. So, but while I have you there, Work hard. While I have you there, use all of it there. And I will replenish it, and I will restore it. For my plans are plans not to destroy you, but plans of hope. My plans are to take you from within that broken place, and as you've laid it all out there in my Son's name and through my Spirit's power, that I will then come one day, even in your weariness, and I will raise you up. And I will take you home and I will be your God forever. And you will be in my city with me for all eternity. And so we have a hope. We know that one day God makes all of this stuff right. And it's never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But man, we're going to go out and we're going to give it all we got. And some of you who have awesome marriages. How many of you in this church have been married for 40 years or more? 
40 years have been even remotely healthy, then you have something to offer to those of us who haven't been married that long. You have something to give back. We want to be a part of, of ministering to generations, of ministering, and of coming in and saying, hey, there are there broken marriages in all in our community? Absolutely. So why don't we open our doors and say, hey, if you've got a marriage that needs help, uh, we will get you here. And we have people who aren't counselors per se, but they know how to love one another pretty well. And we'll help you from the community come in and learn how to love one another well. Or maybe to raise your children. Or maybe to take care of your finances. Or maybe how to do this or that. That we want this place to be a hub. We want this church to be so busy. Not with programming, but with life. Of people taking their giftedness and using it to see God's work happen around us. Knowing all the while, and I'll end here. Have you noticed how God, what he calls himself in this passage? He says, I am the Lord of hosts. Interesting choice. He could have called himself a lot of different things. But he says this, Hilton Head Presbyterian Church, I am the God of all the armies of all of heaven. I am the king who can call down all of my armies on your behalf at any moment. Do not fear the king of Babylon. Do not fear the government of the United States. Do not fear the government of Australia. Do not fear the government of Rome. Do not fear any of these earthly governments, for I am the Lord of hosts. And if you're on my team, I've got your back. Do you believe that? Some of you who come from other churches that say amen might have said amen there, except you're like, I don't know if you can do that at the Presbyterian Church. It's okay. Because I'll tell you this. It's scary and it's overwhelming at times to walk into a mess. But if you walk into that mess knowing this, that with you is the God and the Lord of the hosts of heaven, there is no reason for fear. That where he is, there his kingdom is. And where you go, you take his kingdom in his name and in his power. And we believe that this little church brought together this little time to take on this impacting generosity initiative to raise $3 million over the course of the next three years to do this is going to have an effect for the kingdom of heaven. Do you believe that? I hope you get excited about it. And I hope you then begin to ask these questions. God, what would you have me do? How would you have me serve in the middle of this? Where do you want me to use my gifts? God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to leverage what you have blessed me with to give my largest and most sacrificial gift over time to this work so that we can go ahead and get this thing going? That's what we need you to do. And believe that God has you here for a reason. I know I'm here for a reason. And I like hanging out with you guys. And I love to see you all get excited. I had lunch with a guy this week and I shared an idea with him and his eyes lit up. He was like, I take that on. Man, that's when it starts getting fun. Caring for the needs that are around us. Seeing the God of all the hosts of heaven working and letting us have a good part of it. Let's pray.